Hi, Franny. Don't say a word. Your mother sent me here to help you. And to prove that, you should be getting a text from her right now. The text is a yellow heart, correct? Yellow is the color of friendship. I'm a friend. I'm happy to explain in greater detail, but you have to let me in. It can't be done out here. Close the door behind us and lock it. Look out the window. Your neighbors directly across the street and on the corner to your right have ring doorbells with a view of your home. They've turned them off to keep me invisible. Your cameras have been disabled too. But any more than a couple minute gap is noticeable. In a few seconds, you should get two more texts, both of them yellow hearts. Those are your neighbors. Earlier today, your friend stopped by with coffee unannounced, right? She asked you to close the blinds in your living room because the sun was in her eyes. Are they still closed? Good. We can talk in there. That'd be your friend. I sent her here this morning. Now, I need you to text them all a yellow heart in return so they know I'm with you. All the cameras will go back on again until our meeting is over. We'll go through this procedure again when I leave. You don't need to look over your shoulder. I have a woman positioned outside your husband's office building. Should he leave for any reason, we'll know. Do you have any idea why I'm here, Franny? It's my understanding that since the day of your wedding a little over a year ago, you have had two broken ribs, a fractured collarbone, and three black eyes. Is that right? You had to quit your job because your husband wants you to be at home and you can't leave this house without him because he wants to keep you safe. But you're not safe, are you, Franny? I didn't think so. I know your husband is very controlling. He controls what you eat, when you sleep, what you wear, and all the finances. He tracks your every move, and if you leave, he will find you. Your husband is a very powerful man. Or so he thinks. Truly powerful men don't need to keep women locked up in a tower. That shit went out in the Middle Ages. I'm sure that if you've asked, he said that you can have your freedom over his dead body. And that's exactly what I came here to offer you. Your freedom and his dead body. But I can't do it for you. I am here to open a door. But you'll have to walk through it alone. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you choose to accept my offer, know that you will be fully supported once you are on the other side. There is a network of women who make this possible. You won't always see them, but they will be there. So, what do you say? Okay then, take this bottle and keep it hidden. It goes in his morning coffee. One drop on the first day, two on the second, three on the third. By the fourth morning, it'll all be over. 
It'll seem like he has the flu. On the third night, you should sleep in another room. I have to warn you that when you find him in the morning, it won't be pretty. Call 911 and be very convincing. One of the responding paramedics will be wearing a yellow heart pin on her jacket. Give her the bottle very discreetly. You will never see it again. One last thing. My services can be very expensive. Not every woman can afford them, but if someone needs help, we find a way. I ask that anyone who benefits from our network consider being a resource to others in the future. Fortunately, you don't need to worry about the cost. Your bill has already been paid in full. No, not by your mother. I would not take her money. Did you know that your husband has two ex-wives? I'm not surprised he didn't tell you. He hurt them too. They both came from big families. They kept their jobs, so they had their own money. This made it so they were able to escape him, but just barely. You're a lot younger than they were, and your mom is the only family you have. He knew what he was doing when he chose you. I reached out to them as soon as your mother contacted me, his two ex-wives. They couldn't pick up the tab fast enough. You have more family now. Women have to take care of each other, Franny. We're all that we have. Well, it's time for me to go. Text your neighbors. You know our sign. And that reminds me. The journey you're about to go on will be scary. But from this day forward, you'll never ever be alone. A door with a yellow heart will always open for you. And a woman who wears one will drop everything to come to your aid. You'll be surprised how often you see them now that you know they're there. Ah, that's my cue. Good luck, Franny. In four days' time, you'll be free. I'm Holly. I'm Leslie. And we would be dead. in the old timey times this week. Oh my goodness. And and next week actually. Ooh. It's just old timey palooza over I here. Love it. <laughs> I, I love know. an old timey episode. We both do. So this yeah. is great for us. <laughs> and it's our show. Yeah. I wanted to do something special with the last two weeks of Women's History Month. We've been on a, a pretty weird and windy women in crime journey. Yeah. And I thought this epic two-part journey would be the most special thing I could possibly offer. Okay. Yeah. So for the next two weeks, we will tell the story of a mother-daughter dynasty. Mm. These women took all the power held hostage in their time by men and placed it in the hands of women. 
in a delicate little bottle. Mm. We love a pretty little bottle. I sure do. I am, of course, talking about the original poison artisans, Julia Tofana and Geronima Spana. This case has been requested like a lot of times. People have asked me like more than once to cover it. Hmm. Um, And most likely these people only knew half of it. But if that's you, do not feel bad because most people in the world only know half of it. And I'll admit when I began the research a year ago, I only knew half of it too. I don't even know any of it. You don't know any of it? Oh, you're going to like this one. Mm. This, you, you're going to like it as much as I do, I think. Now, when I went into this, I liked the part that I knew. Good story. But I loved the part I didn't know. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I know you guys are all wondering why I started this a year ago, and I'm just getting to it now. And the answer is um, another thing I'm working on, but just not talking about yet. So all will be revealed in time. Just know that this story is meaningful to me and trust that you're gonna love it. Now, I don't know if you guys know this, but researching a story as old and factually vague as this one is interesting and engrossing, but it's also exhausting. Yeah, yes, it is. So tiring. Mm -hmm. The bags under my eyes can no longer be considered carry-ons. Yeah. I know I don't have bags anymore. I have full (laughs) luggage. (laughs) I have under-eye luggage. You have to be checked. They have to weigh it at the gate. (laughs) Really bad. Exactly. (laughs) Now, I've tried everything to get them under control. Ice rollers. Mm -hmm. That's fun and kind of hurts. Caffeine serums. Mm -hmm. I like coffee, so maybe that's good. Mm -hmm. But nothing seems to work. But I have been told by elder women who know such things. And I picture these elder women like living in cottages in the woods. And they have like... I don't know, embroidered things, and it's very yeah. comfortable out there. One of them's name is Zoya. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> but you guys can imagine them however you like. Maybe your elder sage woman is in a cave, or maybe she's in a strip mall. Whatever feels wizened to yeah. you. Where, to, yeah, wherever she is. Not mm-hmm. here to step on that. No. These mystic sages told me that all the relief I need can be found in a few cooling slices of validation. A hill worth dying on. Mm -hmm. Mm. And you're not going to believe this, Leslie. What? Our fiends can give us this priceless ingredient and it's totally free for them. Oh my God. How? I know. But how? You must be asking yourself. Yeah. yeah, I hear you asking from over here, so I'm going to answer. Okay. Well, I will tell you. Simply head on over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and or a friendly review. It really is the only way to move this podcast forward. Ratings and reviews equal attention, attention equals support, and support equals more and better content for you. But if you just cannot wait for more, we would be dead in your life, which is most people. They're sitting here going like, I can't wait. I have to have more. Nobody has patience anymore. And it's okay because we can help with that. That's right. Don't worry. You don't have to wait because you can support us over on Patreon. (laughs) It's always a surprise. That one surprised me. You went high on the other one. So I thought it was like a high week and then nope. 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 <laughs> Gotta keep me on my toes. So over on Patreon for just a few dollars a month, you will gain access to our entire catalog of 30-minute horror movies, special mini-sodes, our weekly after show, Host Mortem, which is available in both video and audio formats. Maybe you want to see our faces. Maybe you don't. Maybe we scared you with the description of my eye luggage. Both are okay. I think you intrigued them. I mean, you do want to see things that are weird or gross. Right. It's like 
so guys, when I look at Holly's face, at first you would be like, oh, her cheekbones. And then you're like, oh, those aren't cheekbones. Mm. It's wild. Yeah. So watch the video. Yeah. <laughs> Patrons will also get a special gift in the mail from us, giveaways, merch deals, and on-air toast dedicated just to you and more. In all honesty, we are here thanks to our patrons, so come on over and be part of the We Would Be Dead family. Nice. A nice little family. Yeah. Not dysfunctional at all. No. Just get along. Mm-hmm. Have a grand old time. Mm-hmm. Come on over. Although I do love a dysfunctional family drama. I like to watch one. Yeah. I don't want to be in one. Mm. Bystander. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> and if all of that is a little too much for you, you can simply follow us on social media. We are at Would Be Dead Pod anywhere and everywhere you get your content. You can like our posts, share our posts, like and share our posts. That's a good one. That's a really good one. Leave us a comment. Post about your favorite episode. Tell us when you're listening. Tell a friend. Tell a neighbor. Tell the mystic lady you pictured a couple paragraphs ago. I picture her living on the fringe of our neighborhood, like the edge of our neighborhood is woods. Mm -hmm. And then like out a little ways into that woods is a cottage. Yes. And that is where this woman lives. Yeah. And there's always fog and stuff. Yeah. But just by her house. Yes. Yeah. You go across a little creek. Yeah. What's her name? Zoya. Yeah. That's right. That's Zoya. Mm -hmm. And she has some shit to talk about. She really does. Yeah. Then your friends and Zoya can become fiends and we can all hang out together and we'll be better for it. I, we will. We'll be wise. Yeah. And strong. And our skin will look good. You know she has some good teas. For sure. She, she has could good probably teas. make a killer mocktail. Probably. Yeah. She probably could. She probably also has like a jar in the back full of psychedelic mushrooms. Yeah. So you could choose your own adventure with this lady. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's why it's like two different types of people show up to her house sometimes. <laughs> You got these like holistic women like after yoga mm-hmm. <laughs> piling in. Yep. And then you just have like Jim from down the street. <laughs> All are welcome in the cottage in the woods is what I always say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that is all I have in the way of announcements for this week. Those were good, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Leslie, do you have anything to add before we begin? Well, Holly. Yes. Beans can also pick up <gasps> a lovely dose of validation from Shore Soap. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can do that. Or you, yeah. Easter is coming. Yeah. Uh, and I believe Shore Soap will, is having a sale. Ooh, a sale. Uh, yeah, at the end of this month. So go to shoresoapscapemay.com. And um, that caffeinated eye serum Holly was talking about clearly didn't have any validation in it, but the ones at Shore Soaps do. Oh, that's the secret. That's the secret. That's why you yeah. guys are good and everybody else is not. That's right. All right. Get some for yourself. All right. There's a link in our show notes. Oh, perfect. <laughs> Click on that link. All right, then. On with the show. For every lock, there is a key. Locks are strong. Locks hold things together. They keep things safe, keep things secure. They keep things from changing. Locks hold things in. Keys, on the other hand, are powerful. With one twist, a key can take all the things a lock holds together and let them go. That's powerful. But the power of a key doesn't come from the act of opening the lock, it comes from holding the key looking at the lock, and knowing that you don't have to, but if you want to open it, you can. 
If you have a key, its lock is forever in your service. Because power isn't only about action. It's about having a choice. In the case of Julia Tofana and Geronima Spana, marriage was the lock, poison was the key, and the choice they provided was life or death. Many of you probably recognize the first name I mentioned. That's the request I got, Julia Tofana. But you probably don't recognize the second. Hmm. And that is such a crime. Her story is so good. Julia Tofana, known as the Queen of Poison, has been talked about in nearly every dark and true crime publication, podcast, production, and play. But there's just one problem. The Julia Tofana you hear about in stories is not just one woman, but an amalgamation of several women. And one of them was her tremendously smart and ingenuitive stepdaughter, Geronima. Now, Geronima Spana has a better story, if you ask me. But she also has a more difficult-to-pronounce name. Mm. Well, more difficult, difficult for Westerners. Okay. So through the passage of time and the process of retelling, Geronima's story has been absorbed by Julia's name. And I don't think that's fair at all. I don't think it's fair either. Those are two very different people. They are. They intersect, but they're not the same. Right. Though Geronima and Julia's stories are most certainly their own, they're also inextricably linked. Two halves of a greater whole, a torch to be passed, an epic in two parts. So that's how we are going to tell it. Yay, two-parter. Right. Mm-hmm. Surprise. Yeah, that's right. Surprise. <laughs> two parts on this one. And this is a, an interesting way to do a two-part situation because it's kind of a tag team story, but they, they do have to be told together. Okay. So we will enter this first part of the story with the full knowledge that a lot of it may not be true. While there are records of Geronima and her actions, Julia existed mostly in shadows. There are some people that don't think she existed at all. Oh. Yeah. But from everything I've read, she was most certainly a real human and was a link in this chain, a part of a means to an end. But I have no way of proving that my version is right. In my humble opinion, though, it does make the most sense. Okay. And it's the most fun. Gotcha. Yeah. For Julia, it will all begin and end with injustice. 1632, Palermo, Italy. Palermo is a town that seems nearly as old as time. Summers are long and hot, winters are mild, and Roman Catholicism is very important. Oh, for sure. Like the most important. Yes. The city itself seems almost magically protected as it is surrounded by mountains and the shore of the Mediterranean Sea. In the 1600s, you would think nothing in a village such as this of having the church and also a few well-known forest-dwelling cottage people. I don't Mm -hmm. want to say witches because it's the 1600s and a witch would have just been destroyed. They were known in their time as sorceresses. Love that. I mean, it's a a good title. Yeah. Witches were heretics. Mm -hmm. Sorceresses were just kind of weird. Okay. And also powerful. Gotcha. But like powerful you didn't mess with. Just like a wellness guru. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Actually, mostly these women were midwives. Right. And given how much the average man knew and still knows today about childbirth, I can see why they might have been considered practitioners of magic. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. So if you know a midwife, please start calling them a sorceress. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) How is your day today, sorceress? (laughs) Did you bring any babies into this world? (laughs) 
what magic did you use? And they're going to be like, fuck, come on, man. I'm tired. Yeah, my name is Jane. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. <laughs> but not all of the village mystics delivered babies. Some of them told fortunes. Some of them sold protection charms, so like evil eye and such. Mm -hmm. And some made poison. Oh. Yeah. Thofania Diadimo made poison, but not just any poison. Thofania made the most exquisite poison in the world, the likes of which have never been replicated to this day. This poison was colorless, odorless, flavorless, and had the consistency of water. This might seem miraculous in and of itself, but that wasn't this magic concoction's main draw. So it gets even better. Okay. Buckle up. So it's not like, what did, what did, um, oh gosh, I don't even remember her name now. The, the woman that put the poison in the mineral water. Mm -hmm. Do you remember that episode? Yeah, just was Jolly Jane. Um, yeah. That was, it, it's going to be kind of the same. There's a lot of years in between them. Okay. But right now, this seems like an insane oh, magical I gotcha, thing. I gotcha. Okay. The genius behind Tofania, or may, it might be a hard tea, Tofania, probably. Didn't look that one up. Sorry, guys. The genius behind Tofania's poison was that it worked in stages, and it took several days to kill people. In most cases, a victim was dead within three days, but they would get seriously ill from the time of ingestion forward. Okay. This was advantageous for a lot of reasons. First of all, the effects of Tofania's poison were stomach upset, vomiting, diarrhea, muscle cramps, numbness, and tingling in the extremities, also shortness of breath, were also uh, common symptoms of a lot of diseases of the time. Yeah. On all of these diseases had the tendency to kill people in a short amount of time. <clears throat> We're talking about uh, like cholera, typhoid fever, dysentery, and yes, even the bubonic plague. All of those things were at an all-time high mm -hmm. in 1630s Italy. Right. And with little in the way of treatment or prevention in those days, death was all around. So when you started to feel a knocking, you knew who was at the door. Mm -hmm. It even sounds like even if they just like ingested a parasite, like if yeah. they drank dirty water yep. or something. Yeah, or you know. had spoiled food, yes. anything mm -hmm. like that. I mean, you you probably wouldn't think you were going to die with that. Although back then, maybe you would. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Two things happened because of these specific conditions. First, if an adult human with family and responsibilities got sick, like very sick, they knew there was a good chance that it wouldn't end well for them. And so it was not uncommon for them to immediately draft a revised version of their will and get all of their affairs in order. Mm -hmm. They're like, you don't know what's going to happen when you get sick right now because we don't have any medicine. Mm -hmm. Better make sure everything is taken care of. Second, with all of this contagion about, if a person got violently ill and died, the last thing anyone wanted to do was touch their body. Right. Don't touch him. No, don't, don't touch him. Don't Abs be Mother Teresa. Uh, no, absolutely <laughs> not. Now, remember, this is over a hundred years before the Italians took to loading all of their plague victims onto boats and shipping them off to Povelia Island. Nobody is performing a detailed autopsy. And even if they did, once ingested, this poison was undetectable by forensic science. Well, whatever forensic science they had back then, basically looking at them and going, yep, that's poison. That's not what was happening. Right. So unless you left a bottle that was very clearly marked, poison I got from Tofania, next to your dead shitty relative's teacup, nobody was going to know how they died. 
Got it. <laughs> so poisoning was basically like only declared when they found the poison. Yeah. Otherwise, you couldn't tell. Yeah. So what was in it, right? Yeah. For centuries, scholars have been trying to recreate this seemingly perfect poison. And that's because in a lot of retellings of this story, it has like mythic properties. It's like perfect in ways a substance couldn't even be perfect. It's gentle and, and yet effective and they just go to sleep. But like that's, these things are vast exaggerations. It was poison and it did what poison does. And according to reports from local authorities of the time, the liquid was simply arsenic diluted in water. Okay, that's what I was thinking. Of course. Yeah. Because arsenic can be a slow death. Yeah. I mean, we've seen cases like that. If you've read Flowers in the Attic, you know, you know all about people adding a little bit of arsenic at a time to things and it accumulating in your system. This is one of the dangers of having even things like dyed with arsenic or Mm -hmm. arsenic green wallpaper in your home is that it will accumulate in your system over time. Right. So... In the end, that stupid example I just gave a paragraph ago, the, oh, this bottle is from Tofania, is is kind of how she got caught. Oh, no. Yeah, I wish it were something smarter, grander, or more dramatic, but authorities were simply able to link Tofania to illegally trafficking poison and to death. Okay. Who's death? Why, her husbands, of course. Yeah, we're killing husbands today. Now, to find out how that happened, you have to know a few things first. First, Tofania worked with two other women. She entered the business of poison at first with only a friend, a woman named Francesca Lasarda. Together, Tofania and Francesca would import the poison, this arsenic, which came in like little mineral-like looking blocks back then. It had to be like made into powder from that. And they got it from out of town. I mean, you don't want to get in your own town. No, no. And it was likely supplied to them by a corrupt priest. Oh. We'll get there. (laughs) Women couldn't buy anything back then. Are you kidding me? They weren't allowed to shop in apothecaries. And while certain things would have been available in an apothecary, these women wouldn't have even been allowed to enter them. Women couldn't own livestock, much less large quantities of poison. Right. Okay. Priests, however, they could do whatever they wanted. Yeah, they were priests. They were priests. They were God's gift to this earth. And we're in like near the center of Catholicism at this time. So they're a big deal. And some of them used this power, power that was usually due to their perceived direct line to God, like you just said. Mm-hmm. Some of them decided that they were a little, little like drunk with power or power crazy or whatever. And no. they, they were going to like make love potions and perform magic. <laughs> I know. I don't know why they had to go so overboard. Their life was already very easy. They're like, I want more. It was very, very strange. Now, and they would perform magic ceremonies, many of which involved doing terrible things to kids. Oh. Yeah, lest we forget that these are Catholic priests we're talking about. And yes, that kind of stuff goes that far back. Yeah. Rough. It has been stated in salacious accounts from this time. Now, these are books of like lurid history, mm-hmm. not as much facts. They're like crazy stories that these priests would work with these magic women, the sorceresses, and they would work in trade because the priests would get, would get these women whatever they wanted in exchange for the ingredients to their love potions. And what were those ingredients? In these books, fetus parts. Okay. Remember, salacious books. Yes. Not history books, mm-hmm. crazy books. Here's the thing. Poisoning was definitely not okay, even in 1632. Mm-hmm. Not allowed to do that. But abortion was fine. 
Mm-hmm. In fact, it was totally legal and okay with the church so long as it happened before the time of insolment, which at the time was, we've talked about this before in um, other episodes, when uh, midwives or sorceresses, I should say, could feel externally movement of the baby. Okay. Midwives and sorcerers, therefore, could freely perform these kind of services and nobody got in trouble. So this is a legal service these women are providing. Are you scratching your head at the abortions are okay with the church thing? Yeah, you should be because they don't want you to know that part. They don't want you to know they were ever okay with it, let alone until like pretty recently, mm-hmm. actually. So we'll go on a brief but infuriating and totally generalized for the sake of time tangent together for just a minute. Okay. Just a minute. So forced birth advocates will have us believe that abortion has been a mortal sin in the Catholic Church. And you can tell me if I'm wrong on any of this because you have way more Catholic background than I do. Mm-hmm. Um, since the dawn of time. But that's not true. There was a lot of back and forth, and I can't get into all the very early history right now because we simply don't have the time for that. But essentially, the church considered abortion to be healthcare until 1869, when the Pope declared that non-medical abortions were added to his list of excommunicatable sins. Mm, Okay. The Pope did that. Yeah. Not the Bible or a saint or Jesus or anybody who was there when the magic church laws were made. The Pope. Yeah, I think the, I don't know if this is what would have been added in like the catechisms of the Catholic faith or something like that. I mean, it that's was 1869. These are is... like the amendments. They're oh. like amendments Yeah, in the I church. guess that's right. So yeah. like that's where like masturbation is wrong. It's like that's there. It's not in the Bible. It's like in this other It's part. so weird that they felt like they could add stuff. Yeah. Well, well how do you? Times are a changing, Holly. How do you know? That's the thing. You're like, oh, you know, God was like, can you please rip that page out and add a new one? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But medical abortions still weren't a problem until 1917 when another pope, so I suppose there's several tiers of catechisms like they happen. Mm-hmm. Okay. Declared that they, they weren't bad, that they were, I'm sorry, declared that they were bad. And even then there were exceptions if the person in question was young, ignorant, or operating under duress or fear. Mm-hmm. Okay. Kind of reasonable. Mm-hmm. Right? All abortions medically necessary or otherwise, otherwise weren't totally condemned by the church until 1930. Oh, wow. When another pope, pope, said that life began at conception. And even then, abortions were still considered a sexual crime. Mm-hmm. Unlike having sex with a child or, you know, that's fine, apparently in a church. And it wasn't until 1965, so like not that long ago, that the Catholic Church deemed abortion a sin equivalent to murder. Right. So we're really only dealing with laws Mm -hmm. that have been put into action even by the church. You know, it's, um, and again, this will be like a tangent for another day, Mm -hmm. but it would... I feel like it's also because they're using science to explain this. Yeah. And so that's what's interesting to me. <laughs> no, I mean, there's like a huge, you know. a huge weird intersection of church and science. Yeah. Where for a time, they did not work in opposition. They right. were fine with each other. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, there was a pivot mm-hmm. and they, they were no longer simpatico. Right. But, but, that, they're, but they're still utilizing each other. Yeah. That's the thing. They're just like, we're using the science against you. Yeah. Is what they're like doing. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. And or to, or not even, I don't even want to say against because I don't want to, well, I don't know, but just to prove their own point. Yeah. But then not saying that it's like, I don't know. They're like, it is science-based, but also it's God-based. It's, it's, 
confusing. It is very confusing, but I mean, it's also such a such a contradiction in terms on their part. Yes, and just with with very recent political climates that and stuff that we have happening here in America, mm-hmm. I found it so interesting that something that I I thought was like from the dawn of time, the church's stance. They mm-hmm. were like, no, never. It's never okay. It's always the worst thing imaginable. It's always on par with X, Y, and Z. And that's not true. Right. right. So I just thought that was like a very interesting mm-hmm. um, and that, loophole. And that's a thing that can go either way. So we're talking about something that can be very frustrating for us to hear about. Mm-hmm. But then there's other things where there was another pope who was at least okay with gay marriage. You know, yeah. he, was, he went through that. And he was like, no, they can... But they still weren't okay with, like, marrying them yet. Just yeah. kind of like, we're not condemning them. They can yeah. still go to heaven or something, I think, is what he said. I but, it just feels so strange that if you're, like, a, a religion based on ancient texts. Right. And there are some things where you're completely unyielding about them. Mm-hmm. But others that you are willing to change at the drop mm-hmm. of a hat. I think it's because of whoever is in charge either views the text as literal mm-hmm. or contextual. And that was always the conversation in school. Yeah. So you have people that view it as literal, but if it's literal, it's very contradictory. Yeah. So it's it's hard to to do that. I mean, there's four different gospel stories that tell a, several different ways of how Jesus was even here. So how do you like pick out which one you think is true? Just whoever's in charge lets you know. Doesn't that feel unstable? <laughs> it does. It really does. I just, just something I yeah. found interesting. Yeah. Anyways. Tangent over. Back in the 1630s. Oh, and that is all in the sake of honest conversation Mm -hmm. that we are having right here. It's just facts that I found very interesting. Mm -hmm. So back in the 1630s, local sorceresses were perfectly within their legal and rights, legal and moral rights to perform such services. And they were rumored in these salacious books to keep the contents to make magic potions and sell to people like priests who wanted to make their own magic potions. Or, like, trade them for arsenic, whatever they want. Now, that's a crazy story, right? Yeah. And it's in a lot of retellings of this. But it's 100% not true. No. Not true at all. That's not what happened. So if you read that, which you're going to, if you read it in in some other places, what is much more likely is that these priests just took money in exchange for the arsenic they provided. That makes way more sense. But no, but priests aren't (laughs) supposed to need money. They're not supposed to need anything in this world or whatever. Right. Um, or they took charms that they ordered from the sorceresses themselves. They wanted good fortune or good luck or okay. an outcome. They weren't supposed to believe in that exactly, either, yeah. right? Or, um, you know, sometimes the charms we're talking about were for good luck. And sometimes charm was another word for sex in the cottage. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they were using them for abortions. Maybe. Also possible. Also totally possible. These are all things priests are not supposed to want yeah. access to. So having access to these women, women would be advantageous to them. Mm-hmm. So they'd give them whatever they wanted. There you have it. Now, if these magic love potion making priests were caught, they were, and I shit you not, sent to a home for wayward priests. Okay. So still current, that's what happens. Is it? I think so. They still have homes for wayward I don't know. I feel like that's still like, I don't, maybe they don't necessarily have, no, I feel like they still do. I feel like that's still something that they do. So like, you're bad. You have to go out to the big house in the woods where you think about your badness for a while. Yeah, because either sometimes they like just 
throw them into a different church. That's what I usually, that's or, what I read happens I now. Think there is, I think there is. Like, they're like, well, I mean, we can't, you can't just go back out into the wild. Well, they, that's what they've been doing. I know, but I don't think all of them did. Really? And it might not be real. I don't I know. I want it to be. <laughs> that means somewhere in the woods, there's just a bunch of naughty and angry priests. It's just like when you said that, though, that wasn't the first time I've really? heard that. So I... <laughs> See, I was like totally stunned because it looks... This wayward home is like a wayward home for girls. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. oh, gotta go in the woods and hides and nobody right. knows I'm having a baby. Right. No, it's just bad priests hanging Being out. bad together. <laughs> Probably talking about it's probably their bad behavior. Time. It probably is really, yeah, really ridiculous. Not a time I want to be a part of. No, but a no, great no. Time no. for them. And they just go to town with one another or whatever is happening out there. I have no idea. But if there's still a home for wayward priests, <laughs> they ain't going to town. They're staying in the woods. <laughs> no, they're not. They're not allowed in any towns. They're very bad. But if there's still home for wayward priests, you guys, please tell me about it. Yeah. Because I thought it sounded like you just told me they went out and hung out with a unicorn. I had, had never heard of anything like that before. But unlike commoners, they, they are priests, so they can be redeemed. Mm -hmm. They just have to go in the bad boy corner for a yes. while. And then when they come out, they're fine. Right. But they would carry with them a fearsome and grotesque reputation for the rest of their lives. Because these salacious books were things people knew about. Mm-hmm. They would talk about like the black magic underground of Rome. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff, a lot of literature dedicated oh, to yeah. that. Yeah. And so if you were a priest who had a reputation for being involved in it, even if you did none of that mm -hmm. weird shit, people would just assume that you did. Yeah. So you, you don't want that. Home for wayward priests, bad. That's still like a whole thing. There's like what? these Christian religions that are very based in like oh my witchcraft and wizardry. <laughs> oh my God. I feel like I have to whisper because it's like the dark web. I feel like you have to whisper too. <laughs> they might find us. I mean, it's kind of what's here. Maybe there's a wayward home for yeah. our home for wayward priests. How do I? Well, do I know any of my neighbors? You don't. I don't. You don't. That's right. You just don't. Could be anything. Mm -hmm. Oh, God. Anyway, don't worry. The priest stuff does come back later. There is a reason I just told you guys all of that weird shit okay. <laughs> because it does come back around again and again. Yeah. Okay. So back to the story at hand. Salfania and Francesca were getting their arsenic from a priest in another town. He would get this arsenic, but they had to come and get it from him. He was like, I do not deliver. We can have this transaction. You're doing all the walking. Yeah. Home for wayward priests is far away. Very far. <laughs> um, so they, they, they agreed to this, right? They went and got it. And after the arsenic had made its journey back to Palermo, Sofania would take it and make it into her foolproof poison. And then it would be sold to her clients under the cover of darkness. Mm. Very secretive. Okay. And uh, Tofania and Francesca are midwives, right? Well, Tofania is. Okay. Francesca's her friend. Okay. And I... Just she, a gal pal. Yeah, exactly. She's a gal pal that does the transport and the selling with her. She I doesn't gotcha. make the poison. She just does the other ends of it. Okay. She's probably like a really great salesperson. Oh, I love I'm thinking. that. Yeah. yeah. Nice we, little like... We need somebody to be like... Pencil skirt soup. Yeah. She's yeah. the face of the company. Okay. You can't be a sorceress and also be the face of the company. Right. Yeah. People would be like, too much. That's weird. She's got like gorgeous olive skin tone. Clearly. With like... The straight black hair, mm -hmm. cut blunt. Yeah. And you're like, you can sell me anything. Yes. Exactly. That's Francesca. Okay. So, word of this so-called 
undetectable poison started to get around. And the product became kind of in demand. It sold so well that Tofania and Francesca took their bottles of poison out of the back hut and began selling it around the city. Covertly, of course. I mm-hmm. picture them having it like in a trench coat or something. But they were doing their sales on a much larger scale. This isn't just like a couple people in a back room. This is like going out into the world with yeah. their wares. But like what made them do this before we get into that? The like, demand was there. People were asking for it. But like before, even beforehand, like was it, was well, it like it, she just had some like consultations with some women and were yeah. like, I think I can help you? Basically, yeah. They were okay. like, I, people, I get more into some of this later okay. with Julia, but you know, there was a a need for killing back then. Okay. A lot of things were inescapable for women. Right. And it wasn't just women to start. This was just like if you needed to solve a problem in your life, you went to see the sorceress. Right. And the sorceress was like, I can help you, but you're probably going to have to kill them. Okay. And they were like, that's fine. Yeah. Well, if you say so. (laughs) So that's, you know, that's what's going on right now. But clearly if this has become like an in-demand product, The making of it has become kind of a major production. Mm -hmm. And it's just unreasonable to think that two women could make large volumes of the concoction and sell it and travel out of town to get the ingredients. You know, you got the face, you got the the labor, but they're they're both just overwrought. Right. And and there's and Tofani is still performing magic midwifery all on her own. Right. This is just too much work for two people. So Tofania decides to take on an apprentice, Hmm. a local girl named Julia Mangiardi. Now, it is frequently stated that Julia was Tofania's daughter. And because everything in this case is really old and spottily documented, it's hard to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that she wasn't. So we have to concede that this could be true. Mm -hmm. It's not the version of the story I think is true, but it's out there and we can't disprove it. So there you go. However, recently unearthed documents suggest that Julia was Tofania's apprentice not related. These documents say that she was born around 1620 and that her parents were local merchants. When she came of age, her parents sent Julia off to live and work with Tofania so that she could learn her trade, which I'm pretty sure the parents thought was just like delivering babies. (laughs) (laughs) Those poor parents. They're like, you're going to learn to be like a doctor. This is so great for her. We're really proud of you. And like, you could make the evil eye to hang above our door. This is you're going to be cool. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They still kind of had to be a special kind of people to buy into that life for their daughter. Yeah. But you know what? In no way did they think she was going to be making poison. Gotcha. (laughs) Julia, however, was very smart and observant and interested in what was going on in Mm. that cottage. Okay. And she took to Tofania and her life of mystery almost instantly. They were like thick as thieves real quick. Tofania liked Julia as well. Soon, instead of having her manage menial things while learning midwifery, Tofania was teaching her how to make secret poison. Julia had become an integral part of the team. And she's a teenager at this point. Mm-hmm. In 1632, things began to go awry for the trio. Francesca was caught trafficking illegal poison by papal authorities and executed. Oh. Yeah. Enough people in Palermo had been dying without a trace of contagion in their households. So they're like, everyone is dying and none of their family members are getting sick. Hmm. And that kind of put the authorities on alert. Mm -hmm. Under threat of death, a few of their clients 
had exposed Francesca, remember, face of the mm-hmm. company. So they oh. had said, I bought it from her. And they had hinted that Tofania might have been involved. But again, not so sure you want to cross a sorceress. Right. You don't want to like, I don't know. Piss off a witch. Call out your drug dealer. No, you do not. Yeah. So they say, well, man is the safest. Exactly. So that's why she got it first. <laughs> they, they called out Francesca. They're like, she may have been working with that woman that has a cottage in the woods. And yeah. I think at first the police were like, hmm, I don't know if I want to go there. <laughs> <laughs> After Francesca was executed, Tofania realized that her husband's suspicions might soon fall on her. She's like, he's going to think I had something to do with this. She had no desire to be controlled by a man anyway. Mm-hmm. She was doing pretty good on her own. And since they had no children, if we are to believe the line of thinking that Julia is her apprentice, and if not, they only had Julia, there's no other children, getting rid of this husband would create a pretty clean slate. Okay. You know, she's got her girl that works for her, mm-hmm. nobody else around. Pretty good. Tofania gave her husband a little bit of her magic elixir in his nightly meal, and within three days, he was dead. Mm. But the slate was not quite so clean. Papal authorities came to Tofania's home at the word, as soon as they heard word of her husband's death, and they discovered bottles of the illegal poison. Okay. So they have the poison. So it was her own fault. Yeah. If she hadn't killed her own husband, she would not have gotten caught. I also wonder if she killed him in order to keep doing what she needed to do, like for the greater good. Is what I was. There aren't any clear reasons as to why she ended up killing her husband. Right, right. We just know that she did. Right. And this event is is in history books. Mm -hmm. This one hundred and fifty percent did happen. Tofania did poison her husband. She was getting arsenic from a neighboring town from a priest, Mm -hmm. and her and her friend did make poison. Her friend was executed. So she was then arrested for murder and trafficking of illegal poison. Because they're like, all right, well, now we can say, we know you worked with this woman. We can trace what you made back to a substance. And we know you're not getting it here. So you have to be bringing it in from somewhere. In 1633, Tofania was beheaded in front of a crowd. I know. Julia knew that she needed to run. She couldn't stay in Palermo. It was only a matter of time before the papal authorities caught on to her involvement. She was living with... Tofania and she worked for her. Or if the authorities didn't catch on, locals probably would have turned on her as well. Mm -hmm. With word of what went on in Tofania's house on everyone's lips, Julia knew she couldn't go back to her parents' house either. And so she took on a new name and fled to Rome to begin her life again, taking with her the only knowledge of Tofania's secret recipe for the world's most effective poison. Yeah. So she's like, it's not even written down. This recipe lives in her. That is it. She's a commodity. In those days, it was very common for daughters to take on their mother's name as their surname before they were married off. And so with a little tweaking, just to be sure to obscure her identity, Julia Mangiardi honored her former mentor the only way she knew how and became Julia Tofana. Oh, isn't that like a little on the nose? Tofania. Yeah. I don't know. Plus, she's leaving to another city. So, okay. All right. There was no communication back then between places. (laughs) No Paul Revere (laughs) to go from town to town. The women are coming. (laughs) He wasn't there yet. Okay. So, in Rome, Julia tried for a brief period of time to live a normal life. She's like, okay. 
going to live as commoners do. Yeah, I'll try this one. Make, make a go of it. She married a widower named Niccolo Spano. He brought with him one child from his previous marriage, a daughter named Geronima. At first, Julia was not generally well-liked by the people of Rome because they thought she was like, unpleasant and raggedy oh no they were like oh yeah this woman is so not cute and we're a city where are you from a shack in the woods and she was like kind of yeah (laughs) not quite a farm but like but like it wasn't it wasn't this (laughs) but when asked geronima always always insisted that her stepmother was a good woman Mm. they're like ew look at your dumb new stepmother and she was like shut up she's great she's so cool yeah She's magic. <laughs> it seemed that Geronima and her stepmother enjoyed each other's company very, very much. Were they like the same age? Close to it. I was they were say, pretty close, yeah. yeah. A few years into the marriage, however, Niccolo died. Nothing nefarious. He was not right. poisoned or murdered. He just legit died because things were awful back then. Yeah. And this left Julia and Geronima on their own. Julia remarried quickly this time to a wealthy real estate investor named Cesar Ranchetti. And for a time, the three of them were comfortable. But Cesar was incredibly irresponsible and in a series of poor decisions, managed to gamble away all of their money in a very small period of time. Oh no, and all he does is like real estate. (laughs) Mm -hmm, Exactly. (laughs) And so it fell on the women to get their family back on their feet. Julia began working as a matchmaker. And though she was just 14 at the time, Geronima was married to a man from Florence who worked in the grain industry. Nice. Worked in like processing grain somehow. All right. But not like in a field. Like he was making grain deals. His big, big grain business. Okay. (laughs) He owned the grain. This man was financially comfortable, but he held on to his money with a very tight fist and left very little luxury or comfort in life for Geronima. So she was living this kind of like austere existence because her husband was like, that's my money. You can't have it. Mm. Nice. The matchmaking business did not make Julia as much money as she had hoped it might, but it did open her eyes to a far greater need from the women of Rome. Allow me to explain. This was not like a good time for marriage. People did not get married for love. They didn't get married even just for money. Women, let's, let's be frank, girls were seen as property and auctioned off to the highest bidder before they were even of childbearing age most of the time. Mm -hmm. These men, the men who could afford to buy them, did not treat them well. Girls were systematically beaten and raped and kept at home most of the time under lock and key. All the while, their husbands carried on in the world, engaging in multiple affairs and spending their money on vices instead of their family. Cool. And it gets worse. Another major issue at this time was that if a woman were to be raped, Or a girl, let's be real. If a girl were to get raped and she took her rapist to court, which would take an insane amount of bravery, Mm -hmm. it does now and it did more so then, she would be encouraged by the judge or even ordered to marry her rapist to preserve her honor. Right. This is not even in the case of pregnancy. This just happens to be the man that took your virginity. Yeah. So you should marry him. Otherwise, you're used. Yeah. You damaged goods. Mm -hmm. And if they are, I guess they would still be Catholic, these women, right? Yeah. So they have to preserve their, like, morals. Exactly. Yeah. They have to save their souls by marrying this man. That is exactly right. 
So it was not uncommon for women to spend their entire lives married to a man who raped them when they were just 13. Yeah. Still, other women had husbands whose eyes fell on their own young daughters. Mm -hmm. These girls would often end up carrying babies who were the product of incest, only to have their mothers have to raise them as their own. Divorce at the time was not an option for a woman. If they were lucky, their husbands might get sick and die or leave them for another woman. But most often they didn't. And so for many women, their entire adult life was spent in a prison of abuse and shame. The women who were trapped in these marriages didn't have a choice. But Julia couldn't help but look at them and wonder, what would happen if they did? These women didn't need to find husbands. They needed to get rid of them. And Julia knew just how to make that happen. Yes, Julia. She has a particular set of skills. She sure does. (laughs) Julia would bring back Tofania's unbeatable poison, but she wouldn't make the same mistakes as her mentor had. She would make the poison available only to women who sought escapes from their marriages. If they were wealthy, they would pay a handsome price for the, for the poison. Mm-hmm. But no woman would ever be denied. If they could not pay, they got it for free, and the next woman of means would pay double to cover the cost. Love that. Yeah. It was time to Robin Hood the shit out of this situation. But she had to make a few technical changes first. Mm. Julia started by tweaking the recipe for the poison ever so slightly. To the arsenic water, she also added lead and belladonna. Then she boiled it down to a concentrate, making dosing extremely discreet and fairly easily measured. So this is drops instead. It's like way more accurate. She named the new elixir Aqua Tofana, after Tofania, who had gone before her, and the name she had briefly chosen to take. The ingredients, of course, were procured by another shady priest. (laughs) But why add the belladonna? You know, I mean, arsenic clearly is doing the job well enough on its own. Well, that actually has an interesting answer. Yep. At the time, both belladonna and arsenic were common ingredients in face creams, skin tonics, eye drops, and tinctures. And Julia would rebrand herself outwardly as a purveyor of fine beauty products. Love it. Mm-hmm. My kind of girl. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> it would, therefore, not be very curious for her to have these ingredients lying around if anyone ever came poking around asking questions. Yeah. Just making cosmetics. I use all these things in that. I'm a crafter. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> I need them for making people pale. hmm And their pupils dilated. Yeah. It's all in the name of beauty. But one has to wonder, what... What was the beauty business like in the 1600s? I mean, they didn't have the benefits of modern technology. Hell, I don't think working class women even had mirrors back then. Yeah. (laughs) What could they do to make sure they looked their very best? And what even was their very best? Leslie, as as a purveyor of fine beauty products. (laughs) Yes, yes. Maybe you can tell us a little more. I can. (gasps) You can? I can. I'm so excited. (laughs) All right. So here are the top beauty trends of the 1600s. Give me them. You're going to want to take notes here because much is lacking to a woman who lacks beauty. (gasps) Oh, I like that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So one, pale skin is the goal. Mm, Some mm -hmm. Italian women were lucky to be born with porcelain skin tones. But for many of you, that olive tone is really affecting your status. Mm. Lucky for you, though, as we have a fix to lighten your skin up. First, you're going to want to stay out of the sun. Vitamin D is not your friend. No, no, no. Make sure your bones just crumble away and That's die. That's right. Second, get a jar of leeches and apply them straight to your face. 
<sighs> they will suck out all that unnecessary blood right out of you. Get my face blood out of here. Yeah. <laughs> Leaving you with beautiful, faint-looking skin. Be careful not to leave the leeches on for too long as they could leave lesions. But if this happens, just cut up some fabric into fun shapes and apply them to your skin to mask those hideous scars you just gave yourself. You'll be a hit at the party. <laughs> yes, those are not leech scars. They're where I put my pretty little stars. Yeah. Okay. I also do love that like this kind of trend came back with like the acne. Oh, and smallpox. Those, yeah. Mm -hmm. Just like... Throw yeah. a little star on yeah, it. Yeah, you're fine. It's fun. Like, like nobody knows what's happening. Mm -hmm. I don't have smallpox. It's just a collage. Yeah. I'm not hiding a hideous pimple. It's fine. <laughs> if the leeches aren't available, you can just whisk together some egg whites and vinegar and apply that straight to your face and let it sit for as long as you can handle it. Ew. Yeah. That would be so, like, drying, wouldn't it? Yeah. It would just mm -hmm. be stiff yeah. and look. Egg whites are... Uh, they are very good to use for a lot of um, like hair, hair right? and some skin care. Yeah. Okay. But um, with the vinegar, Not just great. really lightens that skin. Got it. Once you've rid your face from your natural blush and you are as pale as Jesus on Resurrection Day, <laughs> highlight those cheeks with a saffron or add a little pink rouge. We are mm. aiming for those perfect little blush circles that are so unnaturally beautiful. You could never make them no. in life. No. <laughs> Perfectly round, please. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Next, we really want to show off those eyes of yours. Find some antimony, which is a gray metalloid, for those wondering. Good. So I know what to look for. <laughs> yeah. Or some straight up soot and apply to your <laughs> eyelashes to really help them stand out. Get some soot. Yeah. Rub it on your mm -hmm. eyes. Yeah, I mean, these are beauty hacks for, like, the rich to the poor. You Everyone know? can use Everyone them. Everyone can use them. Great. Then applying some eyeshadow. So we're going to use some clays, some colorful clays okay. for this. Okay, this is a little yeah, nicer. This is nice. So you have some popular colors of the season, Ooh. which are brown, gray, blue, green, or violet. Ooh. Okay. Okay, we got, like, a mm -hmm. little color in there. Yeah. And then don't forget to tweeze and cut those eyebrows. We are going for a light and airy look. Prominent eyebrows are for powerful men, not fragile little baby ladies. <laughs> and I always want to be a fragile little baby lady. <laughs> look at my widowed cheeks and my no eyebrows. Yes. Now pucker up with your favorite shade of red lip color. All okay. you need is some beeswax and any red plant-based dye. Red wine can also work for staining. Delicious. A little bit of arsenic thrown in there too is really nice. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Those green undertones. Got it. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. You beautiful woman. You look great. Yes. <laughs> Here is a little tip from me. If you don't have yourself a nightshade plant, specifically a Atropa belladonna, you're going to want to get one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Those little nightshade berries are going to be your best friend. Take a berry, extract the juices, and mix with water. You're going to want to mix it with a lot of water, though, because it's very toxic. Do not ingest. And apply one drop to each eye and watch your pupils just magically dilate and darken with desire. My eyes are so big because yeah. there's no knowledge in my head. They may also darken with the blurriness and blindness, too. Yeah. But that should clear up over time. Yeah. It should. And then you put more We're in. Hoping. Yeah. <laughs> Don't do it every day. 
No, just on occasion. And again, make sure it's it's mixed with a lot of water. Right, right, right. Mm -hmm. Water that shit down. Yep. Now let's move on to hair. Are you blonde and gorgeous already? Wonderful. Move on to the next beauty tip. If you are not blonde or maybe not blonde enough, if you if you know, you know, then stick with me. Here are some tips to light that dull brown hair that everyone hates and is probably the reason you aren't married yet. Probably. A simple mask of saffron and onion skin dyes mixed with alum, sulfur, and soda can be applied generously to the hair and left on all day. Just kind of like a all really... All day. All day. Yeah, you good. want it from sun up to sun down. Yeah. Okay. I bet it smells yeah. good. You're gonna need that heat from the sun <gasps> in order to get this lightning effect. So enjoy your leisure day of sitting outside, basking in the glowing sun. Oh, oh, wait. But you do want to make sure that you keep your pale skin. <laughs> Shit. So make what do sure. I do? Make sure to cover up completely while out there. <laughs> And to cover your face, wear a hat to shield the sun, but then cut out the top so that you can pull your hair through and allow it to heat up under the rays. Okay. Nice. Okay. That's what you're going to want to do. Style yeah. visor. It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a good look. It's that a good look. That sounds great. Especially as your hair starts to fry up, it's mm-hmm. going to have a nice, like, little crunch to it. That smell. Yeah. And just look real good. Marinating. Mm-hmm. So you're going to stay out as long as the sun is out. If you're lucky, and only if you're lucky. Your hair will turn blonde. <laughs> but also, it might turn orange. And uh, prolonged masking could cause hair thinning and breakage. But it's literally, it's totally worth it. Obviously. Yeah. You're going to want to do this. Yeah. Okay. Every day. Mm-hmm. Now that you have perfect hair color, you need the perfect hairstyle. My orange hair is screaming for an updo. <laughs> going to be great. <laughs> there are so many to choose from. The key here is to show off those big foreheads. If you are someone who has more of a three head, start by plucking away the unwanted hair. Or I guess you could opt for wearing a head covering if that's more your thing. But once you have an adequate amount of forehead, choose a style that really pulls your hairline back. An intricate braided updo, a triple braided bun, a wavy half up hat hairstyle, mm. a crown braid, Ooh. a rolled updo, and even an intricate ponytail. I love a high pony. With a five head. Yes. The it's the best. They will all do just nicely. Add some accessories to the hair like jewels, pearls, feathers, Ooh. and or ribbons to really show yourself off, mm. right? And mm-hmm. hide the the burnt. Bald spots. And all yeah. the, yeah, the orangeness. Lastly, be sure to eat. By no means do we want you stuffing your face in public, but we do want you to be a healthy woman with something to grab onto. So try growing those hips and breasts with an extra serving of dinner. At home, not in public. Not in public. (laughs) So eat in your closet after you've burnt off your hair. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like fried hair, crying and eating. Yeah. That sounds, sounds like a universal thing we've all experienced. So good. It's so good. Also, be really careful when you finally do lure a man in and you kiss them because you might just like burn their lips right off as well. Some of those lipsticks. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what's a sexy little lady baby to do? Um, Some of the poorer women in town, this part makes me so sad. Hmm. They would like apply um, like flour to their face to lighten. Hmm. So it would just be like taking on 
foundation when you see people doing yeah. today. It's it's really interesting when I was reading these like beauty trends because I was like a lot of this stuff is very like it's very now too. It like still some happens. Of the things yeah. that happens. We still and, fry off our hair with bleach. Mm-hmm. I mean, not really onion skins, but you know, right? But we still do things like we're still desperate to do stuff, and oh, then for we sure. still have people. Whether it's some of the women in town in the 1600s and today will condemn other women for like going too hard at it, yeah. especially when they didn't have the money to like look like the Kardashians of the day. And then <laughs> who were all orange yeah. not dark hair. And then a lot of men had things to say like, oh, God, these women caking on makeup, but then also loved all the women that looked really nice with their makeup on. Your forehead is so yeah. small. Oh, my God. Look how pale she is. That is natural. I love so it. Good. She must and be sometimes very it close was. to death. And of course, the paler ones generally have blonder hair That's as true. well. Just perfect. Oh I would have done great. You would have. I was a little chunky. I had blonde hair. Oh, I'm man. a little pale. Everyone would have been like, I do get rosy cheeks, though, so I'd have to get some leeches on those. Yeah, you probably have to leach that out. Don't yeah. stay in the sun too long. Yeah. Or I just have to not blush. But how would you prevent that? You're, you're just <laughs> a whittle. I'm just a whittle baby <laughs> and everything is so shocking. <laughs> so, the beauty products that we're talking about are tame compared to that. Um, <laughs> the newly refined Aqua Tofana was branded as the skin product for women to have on their dressing table. Okay. It was, as I said at the opening of today's episode, a key. Not every woman who bought it needed to use it. It was simply enough for them to have the option should the need ever arise. Okay. So a lot of women would buy bottles and it just gave them a sense of security. Yeah. Because they thought if anything ever happens, I have a way out. Right. That's the only way back then. It was really the only way. Choices create power, and power can stir up bravery. Some of these women simply needed to be brave. Mm-hmm. But others needed to use it. <laughs> so, more of them needed to use it, let's be honest. And for those who were of that mind, there were instructions to follow and several results that one could achieve. Because dosing was more accurate, results were more predictable. And the poisoning could be done in phases to more effectively mimic a severe illness of the time. So instead of like a hard three-day, you could spread it out over a couple weeks at this point. This also gave the women time to back out should they reconsider their actions. So there's like an escape clause with this. Hmm. When women bought the potion, it came with detailed instructions. And um, this is how they are printed in one of the articles I read. I will link it in the show notes. Quote, they should add a few drops to their husband's wine or food. One dose didn't kill. Instead, it weakened the victim. A second dose administered a few days later would cause stomach cramps and vomiting. Instead of suspecting poison, the victims themselves assumed they had a natural disease because first they were feeling weak and tired, and then they started getting sick to their stomach. After a third dose, most victims died. So you have one, two chances, and then in that third time, There's no going back. Okay. The slow method of poisoning had several advantages. Some of them we saw and talked about from the days of Tofania, and others played out more clearly this time around. In addition to having time to settle their affairs, victims also had time to repent their sins and prepare for death. Remember, we're in very, very Catholic Rome right Mm -hmm. now. So this fact was key for Julia and her clients because if their victims repented, 
and save their souls, it would lessen the severity of their crime. The murder would not be considered as severe if they were already souls that had been saved. So it was also a security measure for them. Interesting. Again, I know, weird twofold church things. Okay. Yeah. Aquatofana was a bottled escape hatch, liquid safety created by women for women, and it worked. Julia was not only making a handsome living, but she was also able to help women who needed it free of charge. Not only women, but in many times, it also provided an escape for their children. But what of the child Julia had left behind? The stepdaughter, who was the only child she ever really considered her own. Mm -hmm. Hadn't she been forced to marry as a girl and been carted off into financial security? This simply would not do. In the time it took for Julia to set up her business, Geronima had gone into business for herself. She studied under her uncle, Andrea Lorestino, and became an astrologer. Ooh. Mm -hmm. Her husband, the grain man, had turned out to be an adulterous gambling addict, because apparently they all were, who left her behind when he fled the city of Rome to escape his creditors. And really, that's like the best case scenario for say, most that women. That sounds great. Yeah, it's not bad. <laughs> Julia. She just astrology all day. Yeah, she's, she's like, hmm, read some freaking fortunes in my tent. Because right. I think if you're astrology, you have a tent instead of a shack. Yeah. It feels more like ethereal, just in my mind. <laughs> Julia knew that there was just one person she could trust to enter this business with her. And that one person had unknowingly gone into the one field that would allow her to do just that. This is a very convenient situation. Geronima learned how to make aqua tofana and then sold it to her clients, women who came to her looking for help in the form of a sign from the heavens, but left with a little glass bottle. Hmm. So she's just like we saw with Tofania before her, these are women coming to her looking for help. Mm -hmm. And she's like, well, there is one way. Right. There are lots of legends about how Julia came to meet her end. And one of them, the most famous of the lot, claims it was over a bowl of soup. Oh, boy. Yeah. Legend says that Julia sold a bottle of aqua tofana to a very wealthy young woman who had tired of her husband and wished to be free of him. And that's the thing. Sometimes very wealthy women, mostly, would just didn't want to be married anymore. They were like, I just don't like him, and I'd like another one, or I just want to be free. Right. And they would take their money, because then it also provided women who were in desperate need mm -hmm. the opportunity to have it for free. Mm -hmm. So there is some moral give and take here. Right. This wealthy woman took the bottle home and put a few drops into her husband's soup that very evening. But in the millisecond before the soup touched his lips, she slapped it out of his hand because she, like, suddenly regretted everything. She was like, no, don't eat that soup. And she confessed everything to him. The very much still alive husband then called the damn cops. And when they arrived at the couple's home, the young woman turned over her bottle of aqua tofana and informed them from whence it came. The police, not being a very trusting sort when it came to silly young ladies, mm -hmm. decided that before they could do anything about the woman she had accused, they had to prove that the liquid in the bottle was, in fact, poison. So then they made the husband eat the soup. Oh, that would have been great. <laughs> no, since the young woman had slapped her husband's soup onto the floor and it wasn't eating a hole in the ground like the stuff from Roger Rabbit, the police decided to give a hefty dose of the poison to a stray Aww. dog. Aww. I know. Within three days, the dog was dead. Yeah. This was all the proof authorities needed. And after the dog had shuffled off its mortal coil, they chased Julia Tofana down in the streets. 
Some version of the story claimed that she was tortured relentlessly until she confessed, and then she was executed in front of the whole town. Others claimed that she lived out the rest of her days in the local prison, where tourists would come to look at the old lady who had killed over 600 men. Mm. Those stories just aren't true. They're not true for Julia, at least. But don't forget the story of the young woman in the soup, because it does come back. Julia did, in fact, provide the poison for hundreds of husband deaths in her time. But she never got caught. Ooh. Yep. As age began to take its toll on her, which probably happened a lot more quickly than most due to her continuous handling of raw, mineral-formed arsenic, Mm -hmm. shit goes right into your skin, man. You can't touch it. They didn't have, like, gloves then. No, she's touching stuff. Julia knew the time for her to retire had come. She lived out the rest of her days in her short life in relative comfort until she died peacefully asleep in her bed in 1651. That is documented. That's how she died. Okay. But what of the business? What happened to Aqua Tofana? Who would the women of Rome turn to when they could stand their marriages no longer? Don't worry. Contrary to popular belief, it didn't go anywhere. Aqua Tofana still had more than a few good years ahead of it. You see, Julia Tofana was a very smart woman who we have watched during the course of this episode do a lot of very smart things. And before she hung up her poison-making mantle, she did one more very smart thing. She turned over the whole business to her stepdaughter, Geronima. And you'll hear more about that next week. Ooh. Yeah, next week is Geronima's story. Okay. Now, because these stories are both complete in their own way, they just kind of share an interwoven middle, I think we can toast after them both. Okay. Yeah. So let's toast. Cool. Who would you like first? Um, to Julia. I know. I like her. Yeah. And she's also called a serial killer in a lot of headlines. She's not a serial killer. She actually didn't kill anybody. Mm. She simply provided a service. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if she's a serial killer, so is everyone who sells a gun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, just saying. So to Julia, we'll wait till we hear all of Geronima's story next week for her. Right. I think she deserves, like, the whole ass toast. I really, I mean, it's controversial what people think of her, but I really kind of think she was a hero. Yeah. I mean, there wasn't much else they could do. Mm -mm. So, I don't know. I I mean, I feel like most people know by now. Like, I I do see how it was wrong or could be sad. And I'm sure in some cases was not used appropriately. It definitely wasn't always used for just like moments when women yeah. desperately needed escape. It definitely was used yeah, poorly in some but cases. Probably for the most part, the rich people were probably the ones that were sometimes not using it correctly. They though were the they ones were who also most of the time yeah, weren't using it correctly. Right. But also also probably needed it just as much as everybody else did. Mm-hmm. And but at the same time it was just like like the other people are just too poor to care about the rich people. Yeah. Rich people are just too rich to care about mm-hmm. what anybody else thinks of them. Exactly. So just like I don't know. So I, I it it, it is strange, but I I think this was a great service for the time. I do there's too. Nothing else. I do too. There's no homes these women can no. run to. I mean, I think it's services like this that allowed over the centuries for people to come up with other services that didn't require these women to have to kill someone. Yeah. To allow them to to escape their home. Well, I mean, the women who lived 
had to live their life of purpose after mm-hmm. that. I mean, of course, not all of them, but mm-hmm. quite a few probably did. Mm-hmm. They knew they were given another chance. They knew what right. was on the other side of it. So mm-hmm. they yeah. probably went on to do some pretty remarkable things. Yeah. So I found, I find her story, it's very, both of them. We, next week is very morally complicated too. But that's that's just what they are. They're they're morally complicated. Mm-hmm. But um, but so smart. Yeah, she was so smart. Like mm-hmm. wild, how smart she was, and how yeah. she re- like worked up a system where the rich paid for the poor. Yeah, and everyone was serviced. Right, right. So right, and we still use systems like that today. Yeah, so, we should yeah. more. <laughs> <laughs> Frankly, we should all take her advice. <laughs> but yeah. Um, anyone else we want to toast? Um, we did do the original Tofania. Oh, no, right? to, uh, Tofania. Tofania. I'll double check on her pronunciation for next week. Cheers to Tofania. We started this whole crazy journey. Yeah. She was a little, little murkier, morally speaking. Yeah. <laughs> she was well, just like, I could make a lot of money off this place. <laughs> yeah. If that was, if that was just the goal then that's a little murkier. But if she had good intentions to begin with, which I do tend to think that she would have because otherwise Julia, she was so young at that time that I feel like she must have been being like told and taught like why why this is important. So what's funny is that you'll see it more next week. Okay. But these women all have a very specific part they play in the the rise and fall of this poisoning industry. And Tofania made the poison. She started that, right? The product is there. Without her, they don't have the product. And Julia seems to have created the intention. Okay. She seems to have seen a need, a more altruistic need, and and met it. Okay. But without Tofania, she would not have had the product, the knowledge of how it worked or how to sell it or how to get it. Mm-hmm. So she she would have just means, been delivering babies. Exactly. <laughs> and trying to ward off freaking gnarly priests in the wayward home for boys or whatever. <laughs> and you'll see that, and there's a third, obviously there's a third link in this chain. So next mm-hmm. week we'll see what happens on the downfall of this okay. substance. Okay. Because right now we're at the top of it, right? Mm-hmm. It's going good. And need Julia to even retire. But it's not still around. Yeah. And some bad shit does happen. Mm-hmm. And that's where we'll get to next week. Okay. And if we had the misfortune of crossing one of the many enlightened wives of Rome, we would be dead. Thank you for listening to the We Would Be Dead podcast. Hit subscribe now to never miss an episode. Rate and review our show on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at WouldBeDeadPod. And join our Facebook group to discuss the podcast and more. How is your day today, sorceress? (laughs) Did you bring any babies into this world? What magic did you use?